0: i with you on A Pop-Up Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. We are hearing Éusei Kensu, or I Know Who I Am, by DJ Marfox. It's music from an unexpected hotbed of Afro-diasporic sound, Lisbon, Portugal. Marfox is the leader of Lisbon's Electronic Batida Scene, originally based on an Angolan music known as Kuduro. Batida incorporates sounds and styles from across the Portuguese-speaking or Lusophone world. Its producers can trace their heritage to Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau, São Tomé-Príncipe and Angola, but it is music that could only have been created in Lisbon. Yet, until recently, this world was virtually unknown outside of Portugal and effectively ignored within it. On this special hip-deep edition of Afropop Worldwide, we are going to take you to Lisbon to find out how and why things have begun to change. Once the seat of a vast colonial empire, artists in Lisbon are using music to rethink the history and culture of their city, challenging the definition of what it means to be Portuguese. Stay tuned. Before Columbus first sailed to America, Portuguese navigators had already begun to trade up and down the west coast of Africa, building forts and settling the previously uninhabited islands of Cape Verde, São Tomé and Principe. They led the often violent foundations for what would be the world's first genuinely Atlantic culture, a mixture of African and European people that existed nowhere else. Along with Spain, Portugal was at the forefront of the so-called discoveries, journeys of conquest and trade that took its sailors everywhere, from Gao in India to Mozambique on the eastern shore of Africa, and to Brazil, Angola, and Guinea-Bissau around the Atlantic Basin. A vital part of this expansion was the slave trade. Brazil had quickly grown into a major producer of sugar, and then gold. Massive numbers of slaves were needed to work on its mines and plantations. For centuries, the Portuguese surpassed all other nations in the number of slaves they transported across the Atlantic. In doing so, they created a trade in human flesh that intimately linked Lisbon, Brazil and slave ports from Senegal to Angola. All of this was reflected in the streets of Lisbon, the first European city to rely on African slave labor. By some estimates, Lisbon was roughly 10% black in the 16th and 17th century. If you go to the city's museum and look at art from the period, you'll see depictions of that diverse world. Indians, Europeans, Native Americans and Africans, slaves and freedmen, lords and peasants, fishermen, and always, always an endless array of the boats and docks that made Lisbon rich. To better understand all this, we spoke to Derek Pardieu, coordinator of Brazilian studies at Aarhus University. His new book explores issues of African identity in Lisbon.
1: There's a part of town now that's called São Bento, that was once called a Big mocambo seated by city authorities in the 18th century and dedicated to freed Africans. And it was a pretty big swath of land that for a while was a very vibrant community. They had a lot of contact with the rest of Lisbon. You can still see signs of this today.
0: Sellers, many of them blacks or mixed race, traveled from port to port, sharing songs and instruments. They helped create a cultural mixture that became a vital influence on many Lusophone musical styles, including Cape Verde's Morna
2: soda, soda.
0: and Portuguese Fado. To this day, Africans still live in Lisbon, but their presence is often hidden within the city's complex geography.
1: If you were to look at Lisbon on a Google map and you see the beautiful parts of the Lisbon municipality, when you start to fan out a little bit to what they call the north margins, and then if you go across the river, the Tagus River to the south margins, you start to see the neighborhoods change in terms of the demography, and you see many more immigrants. You could see like this sort of marginal circle, all these neighborhoods that have significant populations of Cape Verdeans, along with other Luso-Africans. <laughs>
0: Faces of African culture are everywhere in Lisbon. From Guinean women selling cola nuts at the side of a square, to phones ringing with the sounds of Angolan kizomba, Lisbon's African communities are woven into the fabric of city life. One of the best ways to see, and more importantly to hear, this influence is by diving into the city's still active vinyl culture. Producer Sam Baker brings us a report from the ground.
3: Lisbon is home to record stores specializing in everything from psychedelic rock to traditional fado. But if you're like us and you want to buy some African records without blowing your entire budget on vinyl, then the place to go is the Fiera de Ladra, a sprawling flea market high up on a hill near the city's main train station.
4: The Ladra, the means robbery, you know? Because everybody sold fish and they come sell it here. And everybody knows it, but they don't care. So the big thing here is come really early, the seven in the morning or eight, because it's when well, all the good dishes are there. So they buy for cheap and sell it a little bit more. That is the big business of this market. You see the view, yeah.
3: I was taken there by Wilson, one of the two DJs behind Celeste Mariposa, a project devoted to exploring the musical heritage of afro Lisbon. For most of the past decade, the group has been on a mission to bring the city's dance musical history back to life. And what better place to start than by digging through some crates?
4: Norberto Cavarres, Calçada Estrela Lisboa, Paz Tarkos, Valentino Carvalho. I think I found this amazing vinyl. It's with Améric Brito, quite known. This band, they make like just one or two uh, records. Stop the check. (laughs) Don't say nobody.
3: What amazed me about the market was just how many of these records there were. It was an entire musical universe that had barely made it onto CD, let alone to the US. Wilson kept pointing out just how many of these records had been recorded in Lisbon.
4: See, recording on Studios Musicort Lisboa, Portugal, but edited and produced and distributed in Angola. The studios, Lisbon, Portugal, it was always here because, yeah, we are from Europe and we have more technology, right?
3: When you think about a nation's music, you tend to think about it being recorded in that actual nation. But for most of what I was hearing in the market, that just wasn't true. Lisbon itself was acting as a central point for recording, pressing, and distributing.
0: Lusophonia, the idea that all Portuguese-speaking nations form a genuine community, remains controversial. It echoes some of the worst propaganda of the colonial government and can play as an excuse for an imperialist past. But then you visit the Feira de Ladra. The music found here makes its own argument for a different idea of lusophonia. Let's hear another classic record from Lisbon. This is Monakin Jishika by Bonga. And although the lyrics reference Angola, its melancholy guitars bear the unmistakable mark of Portugal.
5: I look at Nungola Foa, Gamu Pingi, Giaze, Mwen, Nwando Kala Benyaba, Mangondo Yamia, Namona Mwenye, Say your wisdom, Mona Mwenye mon amournier, soya waza, on a mon amournier, aluka nungo la foa, gamu bingi kiaze, muenye wando kala bengi Emengondo e mengondo jamie, mon amour amournier, soya waza, on a mon Mona, Mona, mwenye suya wesa Mona, Mona mwenye kalunga kumba Zambi wangi panamona kamufadele Mwenye wondo kalabe nyapa emengondo yange Mona, Mona, mwenye suya wesa Mona, mwenye kalunga kumba. Muna muna mwenye So ya wesa Muna muna mwenye Ya kumba Muna muna mwenye So ya wesa Muna muna mwenye Kika kumba Sambi wangi panamona Kamufalele mwanyye Se wando kala benyaba Emengondo yange on a mona, we are with us. On a mona, we a mona, mwenye are with a mona, we are with mona, Galunga-goomba!
0: Ah, the great bonga of Angola. I'm Georges Colinet with Lisbon Dancing Towards the Future on Afropop Worldwide. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Be sure to check out afropop.org for more rare cuts from the markets of Lisbon. If you do accept this idea of Lusophonia, a worldwide Portuguese-speaking community, you have to base it on the hard facts of history. Portugal's African Empire was Europe's first, and it lasted longest. As independence movements began to sweep the continent in the 60s, the Portuguese grimly held on, refusing to give up even as armed revolt broke out in colony after colony. And finally, the military rebelled and brought down the oppressive regime led by Augusto Salazar. The year was 1974, and Salazar's Estado Novo had ruled the country since the 1930s. 1974 revolutionized the Lusophone world. After over a decade of conflict, the former colonies quickly moved to set up new governments. Portugal faced its own identity crisis. Without an empire, what was it? The social movements that had worked to end Salazar's dictatorship had their answer ready. Portugal will become a European nation, liberal and cosmopolitan.
6: When there's a revolution in 1974, Portuguese youth, they realize we're not in a,
0: in a Western country. That's Francisco Sousa, who along with Wilson makes up the Celeste Mariposa DJ project.
6: People realized we have 25% of illiteracy in the country when they compare it to the rest of Europe in 1974. It's a lot. We were a poor country. People were realizing it's not like this empire, this power. And so the first cultural reaction was, we are a Western country. Let's listen to the latest rock and roll, the latest electronic music.
0: As Lisbon looked towards Europe, it turned its back on Africa. But trauma lurked beneath the surface. Hundreds of thousands had fought in Africa, and over a million had fled from the colonies. The result is a city still hesitant to fully embrace its history.
6: I don't know anybody that doesn't have directly somebody that was in Africa or related, or has a trauma, or knows somebody that has a trauma. It's something really, really present in society, still, even still today. And some of them really, they don't talk about it, but they have, they have
0: a lot of problems still dealing with that.
6: And so Africa became a taboo.
0: An American import was popular in the 90s, and Francisco started out DJing hard-edged records from Detroit. His life changed when he first heard Funana. He realized that not only did Lisbon have a dance music as potent as any techno, but that the records blowing his mind had been recorded around the block from his house.
6: There was one record called Morna Ciclodeiros from a Cabo Verdean band called Black Power, uh, whose leader was Norberto Tavares, which is a fantastic musician from Cabo Verde. At the back of the record there was a text about Portugal and how the music and the culture had mixed for many years. And it had been recorded just 300 meters from here, from my house.
0: It was a big event in my life. For Francisco, not knowing about the black music of Lisbon reflected a deeper issue in Portuguese culture.
6: I was 25 years old. I had been researching music but no prejudice that I was aware of. And I had missed music that was blocks away. That says a lot about the society we live in. That means we consume music in a really biased way. And our question was, why is nobody interested in
2: this? Se pá uma piña, utena, cobrir boca, o padian,
5: fazer na fornalha, e purre seco faz e sabão. Um mico cuspus
0: Seles Mariposa started by rescuing vintage recordings from Oblivion, but now they are launching their own record label. The goal is to find the brilliant musicians that fill Lisbon and help them make the great records they deserve. The first release is Kudi Hola from the Angolan guitarist Cello Correa. Recorded with Cello's cracked band over a single afternoon, it's a winner from top to bottom. Let's see chercher Criolla. I tell you, that's the best samba I've heard in years. While Celeste Mariposa makes all sounds new, another one of Lisbon's leading musicians works, well, the other way around. Pedro Coquinao records under the name Batida, just like the genre of music we mentioned earlier. He's a DJ, producer and visual artist, as you can hear. His songs mix and match touchstones from Afro Lisbon and Angola for the 21st century dance floor. Batida was born in Angola to a Portuguese family. They were forced to return to Lisbon after the revolution. His cultural influences reflect the diversity of his home city. He spent much of his youth in the suburb of Amadora, an area of immigrants from all over the Lusophone world. You hear your mother and your grandmother talking about
7: somewhere else, and even if you are not remembering or living again those memories of being there, you are living this reality that was growing up in Lisbon, but hearing about music from somewhere, eating food from another
0: place, and stories from another place. Growing up surrounded by these distant sounds gave Batida a distinctive view on Lisbon's musical culture. He fell equally in love with treble house and samba and rap and kuduro. The music he releases as Batida is a unique fusion of
7: all of them. Let me put my grandfather and myself dancing on the same track. Music makes a bridge between those sounds from the 60s and 70s, those African guitars, especially from Congo and Angola, that were not being that used on electronic music. They would sound always very traditional or ethnic or old. I had that need to have that melancholy feeling but also a certain edginess or a certain sound that would relate to today and not always sound like something that was, oh, this is an oldie from our fathers. And when I do that, I have the agenda of crossing
0: genres and crossing borders and crossing generations. Engaging with Portugal's history this way has deeper implications, Batida says his music is not political as such, but its cultural message reflects a generation rethinking the past in a city all too happy to turn a blind eye to it. Nostalgia remains a powerful element in Portuguese culture. Batida's art asks his listeners to reconsider just how and why they remember.
7: On my first uh, national edition of the record, which was Dance Mangole, uh, on the cover I had Saudad, which means n- nostalgia in Portuguese. It's a, it's a particular Portuguese word that means missing something. And I had that word on the cover with
0: an interrogation point. sodad Saudad of what exactly? What Saudad do you have? Let's hear Fica Atento from Batita's second album. Dois. <risos> tipo que
7: Não dá pra ser mais assim. Quando há 18 milhões, mas parece que são e que é angolano. Fala, mocota!
2: Eleições são pra dar um fingimento caráter formal. Partido campeão é abstenção na capital. Ei, não eu canto Angola real da maioria, mas chefes dizem. Que eu quero trazer instabilidade e perturbar a paz Mas a música tira pão da mesa do sofredor pobre Nada, O gatuno do pão tá assustado que o roubado acorde ah, Nos anos 80 a luz bazava é da guerra Cuba unita, Hoje luz basa rio secou por falta de não, chuva caldade. 30 dias sem água no fim do mês chega a fatura Puto, A morrida de cedo não procura o mais barato é cuca Nação embriagada
5: chupa quimbombo come jinguba.
0: Fico Atendo by Batida While it's possible to hear great African music throughout Lisbon, you'll mostly find musicians playing in small cafes and restaurants. Venues that make them the center of attention are much harder to find. One of the oldest is African Sundays, held every week in the basement of El Chapito, a school and cultural center. We caught a great set organized by Capitao, an Angolan percussionist who's lived in Lisbon for decades. is a mix of tourists and hip Lisboners, while the band pulls from a rotating cast of the city's best African musicians. After the show, we spoke with Alexandra, the club's manager. She told us that although recent years have seen a growing buzz around African music, this hasn't translated into the kind of infrastructure that musicians need to survive.
8: There's not many houses that play this kind of music. There are only a few that do this type of music regularly, every single week or with a schedule, with an agenda.
0: Spaces like this are vital for a musical community. Relaxed and low pressure, they give artists a chance to make connections or jump into new combos. Some nights, it's as much clubhouse as club.
8: Sometimes, I only know what's going to happen when they enter the door. I see the instruments, because I know them. So are you going to play here tonight? It's not all the houses that give this freedom to musicians. Everybody wants to know who is your best player, who is your drummer, who is, who is. We don't work like that. I always trust their work, and I know they're going to do something great.
0: Alexandra told us that recent changes in the city cut both ways. Tourists, hungry for live music and fill the clubs, But they've also triggered a wave of gentrification. The venue is under threat. There's been talk of transforming the club into a fine dining restaurant. Keeping the music going isn't easy. Of course, not all African music in Lisbon is underground. In fact, over the past decade, a very different kind of African sound has taken over the airwaves. I'm talking about Kizomba, a bright, synthetic bounce that can be heard everywhere in Lisbon. Are hearing Jade City or Already Decided, a collaboration between the Mozambican star Boy Terry and Portuguese producer DJ Ademar. Many of those who organize Lisbon's live African music scene look down on Kizomba, criticizing it as slick, formulaic, and commercial. Well, they might have a point. But those very qualities have allowed the music to thrive across borders and languages. Kizomba has served as a unifying musical force in Lusophone Africa for decades. To its original fans, in the late 80s and early 90s, it was a style that felt both local and cosmopolitan, incorporating drum machines and synthesizers into a beat flexible enough to work with a host of different musical styles. And believe me, once you've wrapped your ears around its sugary delights, hmm, you just might get addicted. Kizomba has been popular in Lisbon's African community for years. But its crossover into the European mainstream came in an unexpected way. Dance classes. Three,
2: four,
3: one, two, three, Producer
0: Sam Becker investigated the scene.
3: No matter who I talk with in Lisbon, Everyone told me that I had to check out Beleza, a storied venue that has long served as the most consistent outpost of African culture in the city's traditionally white downtown. I'm about to go to Beleza, it's Sunday, and they have kizomba lessons. The club was beautiful, spacious and dimly lit, while the dance floor featured a full-length window looking out on the nearby water. The mostly white crowd of middle aged Lisboners milled around awkwardly until our instructor, Wadi Barbosa, an elegantly dressed Cape Verdean man, walked out on stage with his partner. I caught up with Wadi and his partner Minish to talk with them about teaching kizomba. The name of
8: their idea for dancing is Simplicity Kizomba. They like to think about it like um, doing it easily, uh, with easy steps, uh, as it's danced in uh, Africa, not complicated steps uh, for show.
3: Wadi told me that Kazomba's popularity first emerged through large dance congresses. While they were mostly devoted to styles like salsa or ballroom, Kazomba instructors would attend and put on exhibitions, blowing audiences away with their intricately choreographed routines. Well, this have helped Kizomba gain a following, while he also believes that it caused some serious problems. He started to teach a type of Yes, uh,
8: he's uh, saying that uh, it's a worldwide uh, phenomenon. <laughs> that uh, some teachers, some colleagues of them, are teaching a lot of uh, show steps when they teach uh, people how to dance, not for show purposes, for social purposes, and so as they teach them these steps, uh, they are. Are getting away from the real essence of the dance. They are not respecting the origin of it.
3: Minish, Wadi's partner, says this poses a real danger to the identity of the
8: dance. (laughs) This is a social dance, as it should be for everybody. Uh, The man must lead, the the lady must follow, the lady must not know the steps before the man leads her. So if this doesn't happen, people start dancing like robots, Uh, like uh, all the same, all doing the same steps, not taking care of the music. We don't take care of the music. The end is nothing, it's a choreography. Doing choreography is another thing, it's not a social thing for
3: them. As I left the club, I noticed how rapidly the crowd had shifted. While I still recognized a few of my former partners, black couples, mostly absent from the class, had begun to populate the dance floor. I'd guess that in the 20 minutes I'd been talking with Wadi, the age of the crowd had dropped by 10, maybe 15 years. The newcomers were well dressed and definitely ready for a night out. The sun had begun to set while the club was illuminated by the lights from the dance floor. From this angle, at least, Kazumba definitely still looked like a social scene.
0: Coming up, we bring you the future sound of Lisbon with DJ Marfox, Buraca Son Sistema, and Princep Discos. Visit afropop.org to read interviews, hear music, and find out more about Afro-Lisbon. I'm Josh Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. late 60s and early 70s, Lisbon's African population began to grow rapidly, pulled by the promise of jobs and pushed by violence and economic turmoil at home. Tens of thousands immigrated from Angola and Cape Verde. To find out how this post-colonial influx changed the city, we spoke with Eduardo Asensão, an urban geographer researching Lisbon's African communities.
9: In the late 70s, many unskilled migrants came to Lisbon. They were hired to build the infrastructure that the country was developing after almost 50 years of dictatorship. These poor immigrants could not access normal housing, so the solution was to settle in shanty towns. You could say that this populations created a a sort of alternative culture. And I think music was one of the most important aspects of that culture of survival, a culture that developed out of necessity of definitely being unequal citizens in comparison to mainstream society. These improvised neighborhoods
0: were built on illegally occupied land throughout the city. For decades, they were home to Lisbon's African population. And while conditions within them were often dire, they created a sense of community that survived even after the state began to clear the settlements.
9: It was a slum clearance and rehousing program. It involved a wholehearted effort from the state, but because some of these places were illegal squatting of land, and the state didn't have much public land uh, nearby. In many, many, many cases, it involved the displacement of populations to faraway sites. And many of the shanty towns, they were very well located. They were near transport links, they were near jobs. and so. One could argue that in the cases where people were rehoused on the site or nearby, that was an improvement and was as much as the state can do. But in many other cases, people were uprooted from one place to another five kilometers away, with no transport, no, no, no jobs nearby, and no commerce, to what in essence were segregated housing estates that became known by the young people living in them as ghettos. These are the ghosts of colonialism. They don't go away easily
5: they stick around.
0: Housing projects isolated Lisbon's African youth from the rest of the city. But the development of new technology gradually allowed them to reshape this geography. Using tapes, then cities, and finally the internet, Lisboners from the suburban ghettos began and to construct a whole new set of cultural networks. These new networks allowed musicians to reimagine the connections between Africa, Portugal and the global black cultures of hip-hop and reggae. In 21st century Lisbon, this has given these multi-ethnic communities an edge. While the downtown's white musicians are trapped in a corner of Europe, its suburban DJs are looking to the world. One result was Kuduro. The electronic Angolan music first made a splash in Portuguese pop culture during the late 90s. A combination of repetitive hard-edged beats and humorous vocals, Kuduro was initially seen as a joke. (laughs) Despite this, the music made a huge impact on the Africans living in poor suburbs. Over time, Lisbon-based producers began to develop their own version of Kuduro. Recordings were traded locally or played at small clubs and backyard parties. They were mixed with Kizomba or Cape Verdean styles like Ghetto Zouk, as well as the house and techno that dance clubs in the city proper. Gradually, Kuduro became the bedrock of a distinctive Lisbon sound. The godfather of this new music was DJ Nervos. Pedro Gomez, one of the co-founders of the label Prince Discos, told us the story of how he developed his distinctive style.
10: The story is he was DJing and uh, he decided to play one of his own tracks. This was before he was publicly producing. And when he was blending his track with this Angolan Kuduro track, he said he found this incredible loop. And instantly everyone in the crowd started piling on top of each other, ripping their clothes apart, uh, rolling around on the floor, screaming, and he ended up playing that loop non-stop for four hours. And that's the beginning of everything.
0: Just as Lisbon's African underground began to percolate with these new sounds, the city's electronic scene got an unexpected boost into the mainstream. (laughs) (laughs) This is Buraka Son Sistema. In 2006, they came from nowhere and exploded into worldwide popularity, mixing the style and sound of Angolan Kuduro with a focus on the structures and sub-bass necessary to kill on a Western dance floor. Buraka was a sensation. We spoke with Bronco, one of the group's members, about the origins of its sound We were outside Lux, the largest club in downtown Lisbon, where he was about to play a set. A DJ in Lisbon's club scene, Bronco and his partner DJ Riot, began to make edits on the Kudoro instrumentals they received from Angolans like DJ Zenobia.
11: The whole thing started bubbling around those beats and how we could twist those instrumentals into something and make it a signature sound. And then we started a residency, like Specialized, and everybody wanted to see what that was. Dancers were coming up on stage, the nights got like super crazy. Like I had a Toshiba laptop at the time, like a PC, and it got so hot in the club, like crashed like every 30 minutes, and which was actually not bad because the whole thing was so mad and so sweaty and five minutes for me to restart the computer and getting the music back on was actually like almost refused.
5: Acerta que no micro canga Uno, people de
0: Bronco feels that part of the group's rapid rise came from how strongly people reacted to the cultural idea of the project.
11: You know how like suddenly your city produces something and it makes sense for you because you also are a part of that generation, so you also know exactly the language that's happening on stage. So it clicked two ways. One way was I love this and this is a part of me and I'm a part of this and this is dope, like I'm happy that this exists. And in another way that it's like this is terrible like, I don't want to have anything to do with this, this is not Lisbon. So, all the hate and the love, the clash of that produced, like, just you know, it was bubbling from that.
0: Just as Buraka was rocketing up the charts, a very different release was making an equally big splash in the projects of Lisbon.
2: I know, but I not know any capa.
0: The DJs Doghetto were a Lisbon supergroup that included both DJ Nervos and DJ Marfox. Mostly in their teens, the DJs were creating for their peers. Released on the first day of school in 2006, the music echoed from cars and cell phones throughout Lisbon's suburbs, inspiring generations of even younger producers. But without support, places to play, records to sell, it was difficult, if not impossible, for the scene to grow. Black Lisboners remained at the margins of society, both economically and socially. Nightlife offered a brief but vital escape from the grind of the housing estates. But why should people listen to what is considered ghetto music? The next two years saw the DJs retire one by one, quitting music as they hit their early 20s. Eventually, only Marfox was left, still struggling to make his music heard.
5: I met Marfox in 2007 at an event that was going on at a big foundation. that was like a contest that
0: they put through a social project. That's Nelson Gomez, another founder of Prince Discos. A chance encounter with Marfox's music changed his life. I was super excited and I said like, hey, we should do something. I want
5: to set up shows for you to grow as an artist and get your own space. It
0: doesn't take long to understand why Nelson would drop everything to work with Marfox. His music is outstanding, both economical and inventive. Every beat is precisely placed and few musicians can surprise you more with less. While in Lisbon we got a chance to meet up with Marfox my name is Marlon my
5: artist name is DJ Marfox i born in lisbon i'm the first guy the pukuduro in every continent in the world in europe america north america south america
0: marfox started as a dj at age 13 he looked up to his older cousin who would play at local dances and he worshiped dj nervos Nervos became aware of Marfox and invited him to his house. I'm a student from Nervos, and Nervos is my teacher. This kind of close support network is common in Lisbon's projects.
8: DJ.
5: Marfox.
0: Throughout our time in the city, we heard of figures like Nervos or Daddy Fox, mentors who helped generations of younger musicians find their sound. The electronic music being produced in Lisbon falls under a number of different genres Tarashina, Kuduro, Kizomba, Funana But we kept hearing the name Batida used to describe it We asked Fox what this meant GANDA BATIDA TIPO says the batida is like the beat of your heart, the beat of a car, like a crash. It has to do with adding a new beat. While I'm playing, they'll look at the DJ and say, whose sound is that? The beat of the heart has something to do with it. Relying on cheap software like Fruity Loops and Virtual DJ, Lisbon's producers originally created minute-long loops, out of which they would construct live sets. We asked Marfox to demonstrate just how these loops were built. And luckily, his computer was booted up and ready to go. First, he creates the basic rhythm. Then, he puts layers on top. Tweaking them to polyrhythmic perfection. (sighs) I think this will be a smash! The first interaction between Pedro, Nelson and Marfox was the spark that launched Prince Discos. What followed was nothing but hard work. The label had two sides, white working class music promoters specializing in avant-garde performance and a teenage musician from a marginalized community. These creative collaborators were separated by differences in power and culture. The discussion and challenges that followed reflected the history and geography of Lisbon. Over hundreds of hours, everyone connected with the label strived to make their motives, intentions and desires as transparent as possible. Zay, another member of Prince describes the process. We
7: often say it was a building of trust that was necessary. When Nelson and Pedro first approached Marfox, it was natural for him to feel suspicious, what do these guys want? Uh, Because there was not a tradition of working on the same level. As we had to gain their trust, for them to see that we really love their music and really honestly want to help them expose their music to the world. And also they had to earn our trust and uh, prove to us that they were capable of uh, working on a consistent
0: level with the music they produce so well. While it would be nice to say that centuries of racism and oppression can be wiped away by a change in listening habits, that's too easy. For both Prince and Morfox, The best way to overcome the challenges of the past is to focus on community. For years, the suburban music scene had developed on its own. Prince was wary of rushing in and disrupting a functional cultural system. Pedro
10: explains. So we had to learn by talking with people who were invested in this music and were part of this culture and part of these communities. We had to understand who did what first, who were the pioneers, were the best and we had to hear hundreds of hours of music and talk for hundreds or thousands of hours with a lot of people before we understood who these people were, who was more important, who was most revered and why. Because the history wasn't written at all and wasn't organized at all, it was just oral history regarding this music. The work done was so pioneering, we had to be faithful to this oral history that we were presented with. That's why, for instance, Smartfox is the first person we published.
0: In addition to releasing records, Prince also hosts monthly parties at a downtown club called Music Box. These events have become legendary, with fans flying from around Europe just for the chance to attend. Before them, black DJs from the suburb never played in downtown Lisbon. The parties created something else, a genuinely mixed crowd. At first, it wasn't easy. The Prince Records crew told us about the early days. First parties, there
7: was no ghetto in the parties. Yeah, that there took are, months. There are only hipsters
1: and guys from the city. Not only hipsters. <laughs> it's a wrong word to describe city people mostly. Yes. One place, white, black, yellow, red, whatever.
0: We don't care. As the parties became more established, they also grew more diverse. For my nights like these signal the dawn of something truly new. Foi para Mafox says cultural diversity is not about living in the same city and everyone occupies a position without mingling. It looks like a new Lisbon was born in one of those evenings. I might be here with my best friend, who's an engineer, and at the same time, I'm dancing Kuduro with a black guy from the ghetto, and we're sharing a drink or the same joint. That's life for me. That's quality of life for me. It was the bridge that was lacking between the center and the ghettos. Prince began with Marfox and his immediate crew, but it has since built outwards, incorporating an entire generation of DJs inspired by his example. Producers like Maboku and Lily Cox, who make up the production team CDM, are only a few years younger than Marfox, but they grew up with his music the way he grew up with Nervous. Listen to how they stretch Batidas basic sound on this cut from their 2015 release. with their track Accomandar. Of these young producers, Nidia Minaj is particularly intriguing. In her late teens and the only woman on Prince Discos, she began DJing after moving from Lisbon to Bordeaux, France. Let's see a VA ghetto gang from her first release, Estudio de Mana. Estudio de Mana. Hear the way Nadia uses space and melody? Well, it's unique, and she takes it even further on her 2015 Prince release. Danger. Here's Sentimentos. With Nidia in Lisbon. It was her first ever face to face interview. We met in her relative's apartment in a suburb about 45 minutes from downtown. The projects are a sudden outcropping of tall, boxy buildings surrounded by dry grass fields and covered in graffiti.
2: is my girl, you know?
0: Friendly and excited, Nidia told us about how she developed her unique style.
2: That's
7: how she got started doing beats with her friends, and she was like, I'd like to get into production. When she went to France, she published her music, because when she was here, she didn't show to anybody.
2: I DJ Maboko, DJ Lilo Cox. Like DJ Marfa, Back then know, there wasn't
7: SoundCloud, so and Mabok and whatnot Mabok. put the, the new tracks on YouTube and she remembers that they had like a radio at the high school
2: and she was always like going to the YouTube
7: posts of, to see if they had new songs because she also enjoyed being the one at school that showed for the first time the, the new
0: uh, songs. When we asked her whether she had been surprised by the international response to her music, her reply was casual. Whoa,
7: I know that it was good, so it's good that they're thinking it's good because I know it's good.
0: That self-confidence speaks volumes about the way things are changing. Nydia is proud of herself and of her culture. That is far easier when you grow up in a city that accepts you for who you are. Nidia is 18, that means she was only 9, when the DJs Dugeto released their first album. Nidia's first release, well, it was reviewed by international taste makers Pitchfork Media. As Pedro points out, getting here has been a long and difficult struggle.
10: It took a, a longer while for people to be proud of it, because to be proud of it is to be proud of how hard your life has been. And that's not so easy if you're growing up in a country that doesn't give a about you and that puts you in the middle of nowhere in some social housing environments. It's very complicated to be proud of that because you were born and raised in a social and geographical and topographical and and in, in an urban planning reality where you're being told that you can be here even though we don't really want you here. So to be proud of something that's born out of that is not so obvious. It was hard work making that change.
0: Despite these successes, there is still further to go. Before we left DJ Marfox's apartment, we asked him what still needs to happen. He says, it's not whether you participate in a festival once. The point is if you can participate in that same festival ten times after that. And if it's not you, there should be some other kid. Over the last few years, there's always been a kid representing this community. But when there's only one and the next year there's no one, it's hard. But we're managing to prove it. Every year, someone shows up. Maybe 15 years from now, the fifth generation will be able to keep playing. Then I would say all the work is done. Until that time comes, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work. Funding for Afopop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the US. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Thanks to André Ferreira, Nelson Gomez, Miguel Isadoro, Nuno Sardinia, DJ Maboku, DJ Lilo Cox, Nidia Minaj, DJ Marfox, DJ Satellite Batida, Tony Tavarch, Chalo Correa, and everyone else for their help in Lisbon. Thanks to Frederic Mohn, Stephanie Arish, Eduardo Asensao, Derek Pardieu, and Pedro Gomez for their insight. And a special thanks to Francisco and Wilson of Celeste Mariposa for their profound hospitality. Visit afropop.org to read more interviews with the artists and scholars we heard from today. And to hear more of the music from Afro-Lisbon. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Sam Backer. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Stéphanie Lebeau. Benning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Atane Ofiadja, And I'm Georges Collinet.
10: PRI, Public Radio International.